0: to let's face the facts the rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom the facts of life join us each week as we synopsize analyze criticize and ultimately idolize the show and now here's the host of let's face the facts the wonderful david almeida
1: welcome back it's another week another show thank you for downloading and pressing play Hi, Matthew. Hi, David. I am in just such a light, chipper, happy mood. And I mean, who wouldn't be after watching this week's episode? Wouldn't you agree?
0: Oh, yeah. It's an upper.
1: Yeah. A a veritable riot laugh fest. Oh, it's a killer diller. (laughs) Sacco <laughs> at the B.O., as we were saying on the, the Mr. Magoo episode of the, the Patreon show. Uh, wow. Season 9, episode 18, Less Than Perfect. Whew, from February 20th of 1988. And uh, whew, uh, kind of a, a little bit of a legendary episode. Probably, I mean, I, I would say uh, in, unequivocally. The most 1980s sitcom, very special episode that they do, considering there are earth-shattering, life-changing things that happen in this episode that are then completely abandoned for the future. Yes. Like, I mean, shockingly so. Shockingly. And uh, I'm not going to let it get to me, Matthew. I'm not going to be mad at it this week. That's that's not who I am anymore. This is oh. this is whimsical, David, who is going to laugh and celebrate.
0: And Blair, there's no reason for you to get it all upset about it this week. You should get upset about it the next couple of weeks when there's, you know, no reference of it. Yeah, that's right. I'm going
1: to save my anger for a future time. So uh, we want to get let's get going with this. I have a couple of facts, facts. You ready to hear them? I would love it. So the episodes were shot out of order again. Not too horrifically or weirdly so, but just as an FYI, this episode was shot before the first time in Let's Face the Music, the two previous weeks. Mm. So that's why we had Mary and Deaton... Directing two weeks ago, John Boab returned last week, you'll recall. But now we have Valentine Mayer back to direct. It was actually a two-week back-to-back two-week break for Mr. Boab. So we're hoping he had a good vacation.
0: Maybe maybe somewhere down in Rio. Maybe. What do you think? What do you think? The Poconos? I think maybe he went to Natalie's grandma's house in Miami Beach. Oh yes, that would be great. Richard Mall's house could could have
1: flown out to Malibu. That that's actually not far. You can drive there from the TV studio, can't you? Mm-hmm. I I would. <laughs> so the second facts fact that I have for you is uh dot That's the website that I use and I often Uh, promote even though we don't have any type of a link or promotion deal i don't know who they are and i'm sure they don't know who i am Uh, but i do use them a lot to refer to the subtitles that they have somehow pulled off of the dvds and made text scripts out of it's really helpful well episodes 17 18 and 19 are not available they're just not there for some reason and I have to admit, I did not realize how often I referred to them. I didn't appreciate them until they were gone, Matthew. can you just turn on the closed captioning on your DVD? No, the, the ones I have that I ripped off of the DVDs, the subtitles didn't uh, make it into the encoding. So when you go look uh, at the subtitles, when I pull them up, like in the, uh, in the QuickTime player, they're not there. But I liked having the text of it available that I could just scroll through visually rather than have to actually watch the show. Uh, Anyway, that's all. Not really a big deal with the Facts Facts. We ready for some nuts and bolts? Please. The episode was written by Martha Williamson. We've heard her name before, and she's a producer on the show. This is number seven of eight episodes that she would write. She previously wrote Concentration in season seven, which is one of our favorites. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She also wrote Another Room, Off-Broadway Baby, A Star is Torn, and This is Only a Test, in Season 8. And this season, she wrote Down and Out in Malibu, Part 1. As her penultimate show next, the last thing we're going to see she writes will be Big Apple Blues.
0: Mm.
1: If you remember, she's the writer-producer who now does the Signed, Sealed, and Delivered series of made-for-TV movies on the Hallmark Channel. And as previously mentioned, Valentine Mayer directed the episode. Valentine was sort of always the second string substitute director whenever John Boab didn't direct. And they didn't turn it over to Marion Deaton, their associate director. This is Valentine's sixth of six episodes. His swan song. Oh, what a way to go. (laughs) He previously directed The Candidate in season seven, A Little Chill, and This Is Only a Test in season eight. All right. You want to do the the
0: short TV guide synopsis? In this episode of The Facts of Life, Beverly Ann buys a box of dirty books. (laughs) Yes. Yes, she does. Yeah. I would say
1: thank you for bringing up the B story, but it's barely. Barely
0: a B story. Wouldn't you agree? It's almost like a setup. Like they have to give them something to do. Before yeah. The big, before the big news hits.
1: Yeah. And the way that they attempt to connect this to the main plot is that uh, she gives the books to Pippa because Pippa has to do a book report on some sort of a biography of a great American industrialist.
0: Yeah. And there's no library at skill. So, no. yeah, you're going to have to rely on any and all of your old books.
1: Yeah. hmm. And uh, there's no library on the campus of Eastland, the school that you go to that is named after Blair's grandfather. Hello. And then Natalie says, well, you don't need to look for a person to do a, bi- a biography on for that. Blair's grandfather, the father of modern textiles. That's kind of a new thing. We knew that the, the grandfather was a, a person, a mogul. I thought she said great grandfather. Did oh did she say great grandfather? Yeah. Well, let me look in the sub like scripts transcript. Uh, 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 uh.
0: Oh, oh no. Whop, whop. There's no way I can be proved wrong. This
1: episode. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, oh no. As Barbara Stanwyck would say. Uh, well, either or interesting to call it the father of modern textiles. So uh, the idea is Pippa is planning to do this interview with Blair about her grandfather. But then the accident happens. And the only way they tie up this B plot is is deeply upsetting to me. I'm sure you you heard and saw and understood when pippa says to casey and joe tell blair not to worry about my report i'm going to do ephraim stickle the cheese whiz and beverly ann proudly says my uncle Eh. nope i'm sorry but thank you for playing why is that wrong matthew oh god i have no idea Ephraim Stickle, the cheese whiz. Funny to do a cheese joke. Wisconsin cheesehead, okay. yada, yada. Yeah. But a man named Ephraim Stickle could not be Beverly Ann's uncle because Beverly Ann Stickle is her married name. Uh, yeah. He would be Dick Van Patten's uncle because clearly the show has told us that his character was Frank Stickle. And it is pretty much known throughout all fan sites, all wikis and fandoms that at no time ever is it revealed what the family name of Edna and Beverly Ann is and was before they got married. So uh, that's a show Bible bad moment. You hear that? (laughs) That's me wagging my finger.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So, but there's your B story, but the A plot this is ooh, this is such a very special Facts of Life. This is where another one of those episodes, kind of like the first time that that Paul Padilla pointed out how we have some special, unique music that Ray Colcord didn't just say, throw the same sound files we've been recycling for the last two years. We get some special underscoring stuff we've never heard before to really punctuate the dramatical things that are going on here. So you want to go through this? Uh, we want to do kind of a scene by scene?
0: <clears throat> yes, please. Because I'll be honest with you. I don't know why I sat down. I opened my little laptop. I had my, my notes all ready to go. And 22 minutes later, I did not write down one single thing. Hmm. I, I don't know why. I... Is it a great episode? No. Are there things wrong with it? Yes. But I just, I had no, for the first time ever, I had not one thing to like that popped into my head to type down. Yeah. I, I was right there with the angst that Blair was playing. And you maybe you I, just
1: I, got emotionally invested to the point where you couldn't tear yourself
0: away. I saw what they were trying to do. Did they succeed? <laughs> <laughs> but I I didn't write down a single thing. So yes, please, let's go through this scene by scene, please. Okay.
1: I will add to that that it it doesn't surprise me as much as you might think because The things that are wrong with this, we, I mean, seriously, that B story, this book stuff. Oh, oh, we didn't even talk about it, that uh, the the Beverly Ann gives them a box of books and says, oh, I bought this at an estate sale. Maybe there's something in here. And very quickly, Andy pulls out a book called Confessions of a Flapper Girl. And then they keep looking through and find one called Her Scarlet Shame and the Roadside Trollop*. So it becomes apparent that Beverly Ann bought a box of books,
0: but didn't look
1: at them.
0: It, it, it became apparent to me that <clears throat> there were going to be a lot of jokes in here that just even the laugh track didn't allow to land. Uh-huh. Like, there's a lot of like, <sighs> yeah, yeah in 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 here from the laugh from the laugh track and that was the first one where she goes "What's where he Andy says what's a flapper girl and the first punchable pippa moment is her going a girl who flaps <laughs> and the audience response was, <laughs>
1: yeah and there are a couple of other moments where uh, clearly i feel them where it's just like okay this is a truly dramatic scene and uh, honestly, Paul Provenza in this episode, bravo, sir, as a stand-up comic trying to play the drama of this. And when he's coming in, trying to be kind of light and, hey, you know, there's a tree that's not happy with you kind of a thing. I, I think he's especially good in this episode. And I don't hate this as much as I planned to, because the, the long the long and short, Part of this is that Blair is in a car accident and she has a scar on her forehead that somehow through the course of the show, everyone is treating like she suddenly looks like the elephant woman. And because they're playing up this drama thing of Blair is not perfect anymore. Blair could be permanently disfigured. There's a lot of serious stuff going on here. And the moments that they are able to make light of it, are welcome. And really the the only fault of the episode is that they don't carry it through because it does get us a a further deepening of her relationship with Casey, which I genuinely liked. And uh, my rewrites for the the writers that I'm going to be sending in the time machine, um, they're not as much as you might think. Ooh. So, Let's let's get to this, okay? Uh, first scene, we're in the living room. Most important thing you have to know: Blair is wearing a cow print blouse. Uh, okay, sure. I guess that was stylish at the time. Okay, but uh, if any
0: of the girls are going to pull off a, a cow print, it's going to be Blair, though.
1: Yep, looks amazing. It's fucking you, Lisa Welchel.
0: You wouldn't put that on Natalie. <laughs>
1: So Blair is diligently working on a legal pad on the sofa. Uh, Casey is nudged right up against her and watching TV. But Beverly Ann says, shouldn't you have the sound up? And he's like, no, no, it distracts her. And this way I get to spend more time with her. So we're like, okay, Casey and Blair are truly in this lovey dovey. I just want to sit with you and thing, And it's kind of nice. Uh, Joe and Natalie show up. They've just been to a slasher movie, and the, the 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 writers trying to spoof things like the music of the kids and how many times they've tried to do a joke based on oh the horror movies these days they're crazy yeah and it's like it was disgusting <clears throat> what do you mean disgusting it was fine he took an axe and chopped
0: his own hand off. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, can't imagine what jokes they would have made if this had been around the time the human centipede came out.
1: <laughs> yes. Or the, the saw movies. Yeah. But if they knew what was coming down the pike, so it's time for Casey to go, he leaves. He does mention to Blair that she is tired and she should get some sleep and get some rest. A lot of kissy kissy. Good night. And a nice little forehead nose mouth kiss a little progression there which was very tender and very sweet and he leaves and i think it's joe that says it's a Matic. can't he find your mouth
0: <laughs> we get some nice views of his bulge yeah as well mm-hmm. He's in those he is in those jeans
1: mm. yeah so there's talk that blair is really hooked On Casey, that Casey, that this is serious and she's really, really into this. So it's like, oh, maybe this could this be like, you know, the one kind of a thing. And then he comes back saying his car won't start. And Blair, even though she is overtired, insists on driving him home. So we already see a little bit of a setup of what's happening here, what they're what they're going to be going for. Anything in that scene? Anything jump out at you before we go on to the next scene?
0: No, no, I got no notes about it. So yeah. <laughs> well, as as I
1: as I'm describing it in such vivid detail as mm. though you're reliving it. Yeah. Next scene, still in the living room late at night. Pippa is waiting up for Blair because she's supposed to do this interview slash paper. Uh, but they mentioned Blair's been gone for two hours when Beverly Ann comes down from the stairs and then Tootie comes home. Uh, what would you think of Tootie's outfit? Do you remember what she was wearing?
0: where was she the dinner for Republican women what was she wearing
1: (laughs) she was wearing I think I would call Beverly Ann's outfit later with the scarf over the shoulder more of that Republican woman thing Tootie is wearing a black long sleeve long pant jumper a one piece uh, no hat uh, massive shoulder pads clearly trying to offset how busty she is uh, but it's a good look it's it's you know making a straight single line of her figure it's flattering it does look a little bit like a star trek uniform if it had been in a color if they'd added some epaulets to the the big ass shoulder pads and all that but um she's got it combined with some high heel black shoes she she really looks good again she is a drama student she's going to drama school but This was I guess she was out late on a date with Jeff, so I guess she would have been dressed for dinner, dressed for dating. But yeah, a little formal, a little formal. But, you know, this is before the pajamafication of America. The phone rings and comes with the shocking news that Blair has been in a car accident.
0: You always have to be in a good mood to receive bad news on the phone. Yeah, you're talking the Steve Martin thing in Oh Hello. So she's making some kind of light of it and answers the phone. Yes, and then we have to get that. Have you ever gotten bad news and hung up the phone and been like, "There's been an accident." <laughs> dum dum dum. That's a TV trope. I I feel like a Hollywood line that mm-hmm. is that is given to all these situations. I've never. Hung up the phone and had to share bad news and been like, "There's been an accident." Mm -hmm. Oh, okay, just spit it out. Yeah, Blair was in a car wreck. I just
1: yeah, Blair was in a car wreck. They say she's at the hospital. I don't think she's dead. Let's let's go and see what what's going on right now. Yeah, Um, but yeah, the 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 great his special. Oh, hello on Netflix when they bring Steve Martin up on stage and he describes that rule where if you're getting bad news on the phone, you have to answer it deliriously happy. Think Norma Shearer in The Women when she answers the phone thinking she's going to reconcile with her husband and gets very different news. And then conversely, you have to be extremely sad and at a low point if you're going to answer the phone and it is good news. And I got to tell you, that trope is still playing out the brand new steven spielberg movie the Fablemans, the very personal story about a you know fictional family but where it's a, a young jewish boy with three older sisters who wants to be a filmmaker etc it's it's steven spielberg telling his life story through this mm. this fictional family there is literally one scene and i'm, I'm not going to spoil anything but It's not really a spoiler when you know this kid is supposed to be Steven Spielberg. So you presume some some sort of a break or some sort of success is coming. He comes into his, his dad's apartment in New York City, and he is like, I can't breathe. I think I'm having a panic attack. He's become Woody Allen to this point. And the father's like, just breathe. And he's like, I just can't. I can't get a break in this town. All the doors are slamming in my face. What's going to become of me? And the dad says, just sit there. Just breathe. I'm going to make you a cup of tea, son. Oh, why don't you bring in the mail while you're waiting? And I literally went, oh, my God. He is now in this distressed state, going to bring in the mail. And there's going to be. The letter, the Mm. big break letter. It's going to be in there. And sure enough, it's there right there. And it's like, thank you, Steve Martin, for warning me about that. But I will say they didn't go too crazy with the happy. And and again, when you're happy and (laughs) laughing, do you go, oh, hello? (laughs) What? Yes, I do. (laughs) Oh, you do. Okay, I know. The next scene is the waiting room of the hospital. Casey comes running in. All of the girls are already there. We learn that Blair fell asleep while she was driving home from Casey's place and drove off the road and hit a tree. So Casey, of course, feels terrible. And he's like, I told her I didn't want her to drive me home. And it's kind of like, I feel it's my fault. And Matthew, Mm -hmm. you know, I've said many times that the stuff they cut from syndication is usually extractable usually doesn't affect the plot. And this little bit here where Casey and Joe are talking, this doesn't affect the plot, but this is, I think, some of my favorite dialogue from the entire season. Oh. And you you watched, I assume, the DVDs, so you may not even know what was cut. Yeah. But for the listeners who watch the Daily Motion version, I am so sorry to report that you missed this little scene where... Casey mentions that he watched TV in silence for two hours just to be with Blair, and it was the symphony. And then he turns to Joe, and the two of them are just alone in their own place. So it's a nice little connecting, intimate scene here, where he says, what is it about her? She's vain, selfish, shallow. She's a snob. She expects everything to go her way. And then Joe says, and it usually does. And he says to her, so why do we care so much? And Joe says, because she's Blair and there's nobody else like her. Yeah. Uh, Oh, I could cry. The two people who care about her the most. Having this moment of connection and, and almost a moment of reminding everybody that Yeah, we we do rag on her for all of these qualities, but she is still the rich bitch with a heart of gold. And, oh, that, that really made my heart hurt that that is what got cut. You know what they could have cut instead? Why did we need to keep the nurse? Yeah, I know she's in the end credits, but there's a scene later where the nurse walks in and says, oh, visiting hours are over. And Casey says it's okay. I'm her doctor, and she goes, "Uh, okay. Excuse me, doctor. You got ten minutes," and leaves. Completely extraneous, other than when the end credits rolled, you would have been nurse. What? I don't remember a nurse being in this show, so that that makes me very very sad. So
0: I was more amazed at like how many sets do they have. Around this production, because that is the exact same set that we visited when Dick Van Patten was here. Mm -hmm. She's in the same room he was in. Yeah. And it also had the same guy mopping the floor in the background. What? It did. I totally didn't notice. This guy's job apparently is to mop that spot in the hospital.
1: Yeah, because the last time, remember, Joe went and ran and ran off in one direction, and then she zipped by the hallway to go the other way. So, yeah, we saw him. I didn't see. See, you're better at that than I am at noticing the the background details and the extras and stuff. I didn't even it didn't even cross my mind. that that was the same set that it was. Oh, well, no, I knew it was the same set. It was the hospital. It wasn't that long ago we were at with Dick Van Patten. Was that this season?
0: But is that set just sitting around? Like I. Well, yeah, I I think it is. Sure, why wouldn't it be? Especially We're just gonna have a hospital set just in case.
1: Well, no, it's folded up. I mean, it's not assembled. All those walls come apart. You know, like The Price is Right. That soundstage, they film other things on the soundstage. Where the price is right is all of those sets are able to be taken apart, collapsed, and stored somewhere. Really? On the price is right? I feel like that would have a permanent set. What the Cal Burnett show was on the same sound stage as the price is right. That's why those, you know, those stairs when you come up from Contestants Row, Cal Burnett Show and The Price Is Right were in the same sound stage. And I think Match Game was also, I think Match Game was also in that same. Huh. Yeah. So, yeah, I, it doesn't surprise me at all that there's got to be a warehouse with sets and whoever the set designer is, they probably designed and built them and said, well, tuck them away as long as we have room to store them. Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't surprise me much. I'm looking up how long ago it was that we had Dick Van Patten on the show. It was, it was, oh, it was season eight, episode 20. That was last season. Good God. Feels like we just did that, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, it always feels like Dick Van Patten just left. <laughs> Whenever you see him or think about him, you're like,
1: "Ugh, you again." But yeah, wow. But the the I'm I'm more fascinated with. They said, "Okay, well, if it's a hospital, you need the janitor mopping the floor. That's what brings a hospital to life." Uh, more nurses, medical personnel. Nope, janitor. Yeah. <laughs> So then the doctor shows up. Ron Fassler is the actor who plays Dr. Nichols. This is his only facts of life appearance. 83 acting credits and a 36 year career. Tons of one offs. Plus two writing credits. One thing I don't recognize. And one episode of Murphy
0: Brown. Just out of the play. (laughs) That's so weird because when I when he first walked in, I was like, he looks like Miles from Murphy, Murphy Brown. Oh, he does. Doesn't he? Yes. Grant (laughs) show the wonderful. But the doctor says
1: Blair is lucky. She's going to be okay. She's bruised, banged up, no broken bones. But there was some trauma to the head. So we want to keep her overnight for observation. I mean, of all the hospital speak that they write poorly for sitcoms. I was like, I'm I'm okay with this. I was ready to go. I had I was had both barrels loaded here to start shooting holes and all this, but I'm like, oh, okay. That makes sense. Wow. Then later we have the hospital room where Blair is. Oh, the only other thing about the scene in the waiting room of the hospital, at one point, Andy and Pippa show up with the coffee cups. Is that a trope? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't spent much time in a hospital waiting room, thank God. But the idea of one character going and getting coffees for everybody. Yeah. That seems to be a convenient thing that all TV shows are like, well, that's something we can have them doing instead of just all sitting there. So then next we're in the hospital room. Later, the room is dark. Blair is in some some prosthetics to make her lip look all uh, bruised and swollen And all red. And of course, you know, the no makeup and her hair is all kind of greasy and slicked back and stuff. Um, This is where the new and different incidental music comes in. And another lovely scene. Of course, it's Joe who comes in. It's Joe. I, I think that's what I like most about this is this episode is one of the Blair and Joe bonding episodes. The no, no, no. When the chips are down, they love each other. So stop with the stupid shit and the jokes about how much I hate her and wow, it's so quiet because Blair's not around, that fucking bitch. Joe tries to make some jokes. Blair is still kind of wincing, clearly in pain. Uh, Really, really good performance from Lisa Welchel. I really think she did a good job considering she was hired to do a goddamn sitcom. And now in this, she's in a She's Marky Post and Farrah Fawcett in every Lifetime TV movie
0: here. Yeah, she's wonderful.
1: Mm-hmm. I could do without the moment later when she throws the uh the tray, looking at a reflection that that's a little little melodramistic uh, for me, but that's directorial. That's not her. We do not fault Lisa Welchel for that. So then Blair says, "I want you to tell me what I look like." And Joe was like, "Eh, you got a fat lip. There's a bandage on your forehead. You know, no big deal. She says, hand me the mirror. And she says, "Eh, Blair, no, come on. It's, It's early. And then she says, okay, well, then would you fill my water pitcher? So she says, okay, taking the water pitcher off of a silver platter, a metal tray that clearly is reflective. So Blair takes the tray and is looking at herself in that. The suspenseful music, the big buildup while she takes off the bandage to reveal this big, ugly, swollen scar. I mean, it's gross. She just reacts. She is horrified. She looks at Joe, and then
0: we go to commercial. Now, I haven't seen a lot of people with head injuries like that, but it seemed to me that the the stitching was a little bit Frankensteinish like i I don't know why, but I feel like, and I have nothing to base this on, but it felt like they might have done a little bit better job of of sealing that up, but it, it, just, yeah. it looked a little like like she had done that herself, <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> it, it was very big and very bumpy, and
1: truly. When, when you have cuts and things, number one, they can inject stuff that makes the swelling go down. And and secondly, often what you'll find is, uh, I, I, in my experience, myself and other people, is that right after, particularly after surgery, the initial, like when you see something sti- with stitches and, and you know a, a, a cut or an incision closed up, it'll actually look pretty good right after surgery it's over the next few days that it starts to get a little swollen and have to be kind of like okay we're we're in the healing place now but i'm aware this is an injury that clearly her face went through the windshield or something like that but um yeah it's you know they're they are desperately trying to make this seem worse than it is and I don't know, is it that, are we that jaded? Is it because we watch Botched and Extreme Makeover and all of these surgery videos and Dr. Pimple Popper? Is it, is it just that, I don't remember or perceive that in 1988, I would have looked at that and gone, holy fuck. Yeah. Uh, th- this is not a big deal. And that's the biggest fault of this episode is that, we're looking at it going what? And it's like, girl, you it just happened. Why are you? Why are you analyzing anything? Get a sedative, lay there, heal, feel better. It's like oh. well, we come back from commercial. We rejoin at the same moment. Um, Lisa Welchel, we do have to point out that in this beautifully subdued, very different performance that we get from her, Her Texas Southern does come through multiple times. When she says to Joe, Well, I guess I better cancel my facial. Later in the Casey scene, when she says she wants to break up with him, she says, I've been thinking about this a long time. Time. Little, little more Southern there. But uh, forgive me for getting ahead of myself. I would normally be very, very angry with someone else. She does tell this story kind of like a, where is she coming from? And she tells the story when she was a little girl, her mother bought her this special dress and this special outfit. And she just looked so pretty in it. And everyone said she looked pretty in it and she felt perfect. And Monica apparently said to her, don't get it dirty. Cause even one little spot
0: will ruin it. Yeah. That story about her white dress so hard to say like off the top of my head not putting much thought into it but like I would have had Blair try to explain to Joe that not only at six years old when I was given this white dress was I told I had to be perfect I have been told I had to be perfect my entire life at graduation I had to look a certain way at 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 my cotillion or whatever the fuck you know mm, I had to yeah. look a certain way I've had to be perfect my whole life I I, but putting that all on this one story about the white dress yeah, I guess you know kind of hits home that it happened as a child it started as a child but like I just I, I would have given her more to do more to play with as far as like making it really hit home to others how important it is to be perfect for Blair. Yeah. It's, it goes beyond the looks. It goes beyond wanting to please her mother. It goes, it goes beyond wanting to please her father, wanting to please society. Like that, this is just the way it's always been for her.
1: And I think the, the modern spin on it, I wouldn't use this language, but it's that being beautiful is her brand. That's really what she is. That's what defines her. And that's, you know, to add on to the dialogue you were just talking about, her thing is she could say to Joe, Joe, for all of the crap you've given me, I'm terrible, this isn't actual dialogue. Something along the lines of, Joe, for all the crap you give me for being vain and obsessed with my looks, you know, that's what I am. That's who I am. That's what defines me. If I don't have my looks, Joe... Who am I? I don't
0: know. Well, and that's the perfect opportunity for Joe, who has loved her for so long, to point out all of the things that she is mm-hmm. beyond beyond her looks. So I would have, I would have. I mean, I guess that's maybe a little too heavy for a for an eighty sitcom, but I would have given them a little bit more.
1: Yeah, death. we're 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 freaking. At, we were near death in a hospital. I don't think that's too heavy here. I think. Maybe the idea is that the episode did want to focus more on the Casey situation more than it's like lovely as all these moments are. And I can't get enough of them. Maybe they felt, well, do we really need to do a, we had that other scene. We know how Joe feels about Blair. Yeah. I don't know. One thing I'm very happy about is that what my brain is going through. Joe says, Blair, I'm sure it's not as bad as it looks She says, I'm sure a plastic surgeon can help you with that. Don't you warners keep one on retainer? (laughs) Uh, But it's I mean, it's true. It's it's like, uh, yeah, you you know, Monica has had surgery. And (laughs) so but then her thing is, Joe, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody what I look like. I want to tell people in my own time. Promise me. And Joe promises her before she leaves the room that she will not tell anybody. So at this point, we're just kind of like, "Oh, Blair. And again, it's so soon. Uh, So I, I, I wasn't thinking of the rewrite that you just sort of uh, kickstarted there. Uh, But I really like that because it's going to relate very well to what I'm going to come back with at the end. And now that I say it that way, I, Again, hope it's worth it when we get there. There's been an accident. <laughs> the next day, it's the, still the hospital room. Tootie, Beverly Ann, Natalie are dealing with the tons and tons of flowers that are coming in. Uh, this is where Beverly Ann has got on a first lady suit with the triangle folded scarf over one shoulder. Very 80s. And uh, yeah, that's that's the one coming from the Republican ladies' luncheon, I feel, more so than Tootie's uh, Star Trek onesie. Again, I have to credit the episode. Not only did they make that reference to plastic surgery, now Blair is on the phone with her mother, and she's saying, no, mother, it's fine. It's okay. And finally, that moment where she just hands the phone to Beverly Ann that I can't talk to my mother anymore. I'm uh, I'm full. I'm done. How real was that? <laughs> Holy shit. So then Beverly Ann, Monica, oh, it's Beverly Ann. And then she says, to, I didn't know what was happening, but it's like, oh, she's. I guess she's flying from New York City. Maybe she was out of the country or across or traveling. But Beverly Ann says to her, would you please steal me some of those little packages of peanuts? And then gets weirdly excited. there's another yeah yeah and then gets weirdly excited yeah that sitcom yay i'm gonna go into the other room yay yeah that's there's some sitcom acting 101 right there and uh you know cloris always makes it work but that was that i'm just gonna say it cloris that was a tad bit beneath you Hmm. (laughs) then finally casey shows up so uh the girls clear out Blair is trying to kind of hide her face and cover up. Casey is so sweet and so supportive. And then Blair drops the bombshell. I think we should stop seeing each other. We should break up. And that's where she says, I've been thinking about this a long time. And Casey is like, wait, what in the fuck? I'm paraphrasing. And a lovely line. And this is a show Bible good moment. He says, so slumming time is over. And Blair is like, that's not what I meant. And he says, no, I know what you mean. And he leaves. True. We're talking about, it. he's a social worker. We're, we're talked about, it. there's always been a status issue in this relationship and the few times we've seen it. Yes, spot on. Gotta credit the writing. Then another weird thing, we get more of our interesting, new, different music cue music, but it's a hard cut. Everything else in the show has been a dissolve and a dissolve. For some reason, it goes from Blair reacting to Casey leaving the room to hard cut. We're in the living room. And then Joe comes in the door. It's not like they hard cut because something was taken out. The scene clearly begins with Joe coming home. So that was weird. Maybe something was cut. Who knows? Before broadcast. Joe comes home and says Casey didn't show up to work at the center. So now we know, oh, he's really
0: still been upset by this. Ding dong. It's him. I'm going to go get some water. Do you want something? No, I never drink when I'm upset. (laughs) 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 Do you have a thing that like, I I don't have a thing. Like, it seems like a sitcom trope where they've always got this like, oh, I never drink when I'm upset or, oh, I never eat when I'm watching TV. It's like, I, I don't have a thing like that. Yeah. Where it's like, I never do something when I'm doing this. I don't think that would be something that would be personality. um, driven. Yeah.
1: You know? Yeah. I don't, I don't have one of those either. You're right. And yeah, being especially things, things that I do and don't do when I'm upset, being upset would imply I have any sense of connection to my feelings, which mm. I don't. So, The general umbrella of everything that is me is I eat when I am upset, angry, lonely, tired, bemused. (laughs) You know, that's to me, I'm just like, eh, I I guess food, my food is my feelings. So, yeah, that got a little dark. That went a little deep. Having having some having some feelings about things. And let's uh, let's talk about the facts of life. Okay, back to the show. We'll talk about that another time. (laughs) So Casey, again, Casey and Joe bonding. Now they're friends and like coworkers. I really, I've got to admit, I really didn't care for Casey's presence in the show at all. When I first was watching these and digesting them for the first time a few years ago, but I'm like, oh, I really like Casey, and I really like how he's okay. Joe is his coworker and his girlfriend's best friend. So him going to Joe saying, "What? She broke up with me? What the fucking shit?" You know, you know, help me out here. And Joe immediately knows it's her girlfriend. She's like, she knows what's happening. That this has to do with Blair and how she thinks she looks. So then she says, "I'll be right back." She goes into the kitchen, goes to Tootie and Natalie. I need some advice, guys. And Tootie and Natalie say, from who? <laughs> and she's like, from you. And t- truly, this is another kind of a fun show Bible good moment where Tootie and Natalie look at each other like, Joe needs advice from uh What? The? And then they're excited They're like, Oh, my God. Yes, totally. We love that. Yeah, yeah, let's go sit down to the table. Let's see what's happening. Get lay it on us. We, we want to help you. I it love was, this scene.
0: Oh,
1: it was great. a great scene. It is a great scene. And what it boils down to is Joe says, uh, hypothetically speaking, if you make a promise to a friend, can you break the promise if you know the promise is hurting your friend? And they say, hypothetically, can you tell us who the friend is? And she says, no. And then Natalie says, "Well, hypothetically, you should do whatever you have to to help Blair." And then Joe says, "Even if it means she might not forgive me."
0: Now, what is she? I, she,
1: how? I... Who did what? I'm I'm with you there because I'm kind of like, but. You know, this again, this is implying that Blair looks like the elephant man and Casey hasn't seen her without the hood covering her face. So the idea is that, you know, Casey went, I mean, almost should they have just bandaged her whole head for part of it where you can't see? <laughs> I, I don't know that. I don't want to cover Lisa Welchel's face ever. But yeah, this is this uh, heightening of, of the drama of the, oh, the situation, all the angst. And it's like, but she doesn't look that bad. And it's been 24 hours. She
0: does. She's not going to look this way forever. So, yeah. What is Joe not allowed to tell Casey, though? Quote,
1: unquote, what she looks like. Now, Casey has seen Blair, but the bandage was on. So I think it's she doesn't want Casey to know that she's going to have this big, ugly, permanent scar on her forehead.
0: See, that, it, that I think we just nailed what the problem was with with for me with this episode was that it could have gone so much darker and and I don't mean darker, but like it could have gone so much deeper than just a cut on her forehead to make Blair like to make I don't know. it it just it all seemed so like, hmm. Like in that episode of the golden girls where Dorothy has to have surgery on her foot while the other girls are dancing and they act like Dorothy will never dance again. Was Dorothy a dancer? Yeah. (laughs) But it just, but like, I just, mm, I don't know how to verbalize it. I'm sorry. That, which is sucks for somebody who is on a podcast that they don't know how to verbalize their feelings. But I, I didn't think there would be anything wrong with Joe having a conversation with, casey about blair like they did before and yeah without breaking her trust or whatever because it's never a moment where where blair says fucking joe i'm never speaking to her again Mm -hmm. the closest the closest
1: we get is the next scene starts in the hospital room and casey comes back kind of angry and you know, he's con- being confrontational when he says, so we just going to wear bangs for the rest of your life. And she says, I'm going to kill Joe meaning instantaneous. She's like, Oh, she fucking told him that's it. And that's a laugh. I mean, and, and it's kind of earned ish, but I'm with you that the, the problem with the episode is how heightened this is. It's one thing that in Blair's mind, it is so terrible. It's lovely that Joe is honoring this promise so much. I mean, that is commendable. But Joe should be the one, Joe being the, 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 you know, practical one. She's like, she's freaking out because she's got this cut in her forehead. It's probably not even going to show anything.
0: You'll probably won't even be able to see it in two months. So, uh, yeah. And I feel like as as Casey, like I might have accepted, okay, you don't want to see me anymore. But I might have had a conversation with Joe. I'm not going anywhere. She owns the building that I work in. Yeah. So it's been 24 hours since a major accident happened. I'm just going to step back a little bit and yeah, let her let her adjust. And yeah, I'll call her on Saturday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. But
1: yeah, so, everything is heightened. This is all again the melodrama of it. Everything is heightened. Um. This is the scene where the nurse comes in. Uh, Catherine Paolone, or Paolone, P-A-O-L-O-N-E, plays the nurse. This is her only appearance on The Facts of Life. 43 credits and a 23-year career. Uh, So this is where Casey says to Blair, you'd give up a promising relationship because you're afraid afraid to face me with a scratch on your head. And then she dramatically takes the bandage off. And again, it's like this is like removing the hood from the elephant man where you're like, oh, 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 oh," Casey throws up on the floor kind of a thing. Yeah. But he does react kind of like, okay, that's that is more than a scratch. Okay, I'll give you that. But then she says everything has changed. I'm not the same person anymore. Blair Warner was a flawless beauty. And the audience does laugh a bit at that. (laughs) It is funny that she still could say that about herself. But then she says, I'm not anymore. Even with plastic surgery, there will
0: always be a scar. And see, uh, again, one phrase would have given us a little more sympathy. Blair Warner was supposed to be a flawless beauty. Mm -hmm. I would have accepted that. But for her to be like, Blair Warner was a flawless beauty. Okay. Yeah. mm. Yeah. I
1: do like Casey's switcheroo where he says, well, you know what? Maybe you're right. I guess we should stop seeing each other, but uh, let's stay friends. Okay. Bye. And he walks out the door. And there is a moment where I was like, okay. And then he comes back in and says, is that what you really expected me to do? Real? Come on. You thought I'd walk out on you. And he says, give me a little more credit lady. And then she says, I'm damaged goods. I've spilled something on my white dress. I'm less than perfect, which would be a great title for an episode of a sitcom. Yeah. And then Casey gets the line and I love this. This is good where he says, I hate to break this to you, but you've always been less than perfect. I can write a book on how less than perfect you are. The next WTF line is I never liked your nose. Yeah. What's that about? That is literally one line so that we had the final line for the episode. And awful, terrible. What were they thinking? I never liked your nose. And she says, my nose? And he says, the point is, I love you anyway. Moment when he realizes what he just said.
0: He said, I love you.
1: And then he goes, oh, God, who said that? And starts looking around the room. And then he says, I love you just the way you are. And a scar isn't going to make any difference. So he starts showing her scars on his arms and legs. And at one point she says, okay, that is disgusting. Put that away. And he says, so do you love me any less or at all for that matter?
0: I love you, Paul Provenza.
1: I know. And Blair says,
0: yes.
1: And then he does say, which one? And this is where Blair comes clean and says, I love you very much. And then he does the same kiss that we saw him do earlier. He kisses her on her forehead, on her nose, and then on the lips. And there's this beautiful, tender moment, and they're hugging. And then she says, Now what is this about my nose? Boom! Waka waka waka! Shoo!
0: Come on, though. How else are they going to end that episode? That was a great little button. Come on. Come on. (sighs) Anyway. Great little button for an 80s sitcom that will never mention any of the things in this episode again.
1: Never mention them again. (laughs) But here's the deal. Why couldn't they have had all of this stuff and all of this whatever? I love that the, the stuff that you suggested we added to make sure it's clear that she is thrown. She's just been in a fucking car accident. Come on. Yeah. So, yeah, give her that, give her the the ability to freak out and go a little over the top with it and have the others trying to calm her down. And uh, then at the end of it, after she and Casey have kind of reconciled, why couldn't the doctor come back in and say, I just wanted to take another look at you? And she's like, oh, it still looks awful. And he's like, yeah, well, I've been talking to your plastic surgeon. He's pretty sure he's going to be able to get that taken care of, won't even be able to see it within a couple of months. Nobody will even be able to tell, you know, have the doctor kind of just say like, wait, did, did you think that this was going to be, you were always going to look like this and have him say, you're not even here 24 hours. He said, please give yourself time to heal. I, I wouldn't have had a problem with that. And then that would justify why the next time we see Blair at Joe's wedding next week, she looks perfectly fine and no mention is made of any of it. It's so weird, and like I said, all of this other stuff, this sweet the thing with Casey and the saying "I love you" and the moment with Casey and Joe, I I love those so much. This was an episode I was prepared to hate for being so overly melodramatic, and here I am going.
0: Hmm. It's very 80s sitcom. We never heard about Dorothy's chronic fatigue syndrome again. Nope. Yeah, or her operation to have her eyes done. Yeah, when they're talking about
1: plastic surgery, it's like really. On um, you, you looked at your face and said,
0: "Yeah, the problem, the eyes." <laughs> really, I was thinking the whole time. I was like, "Why didn't they mess her up even more?" And then I was like, uh, then we would have had to deal with like physical therapy kind of stuff, and like it would have been even more weird to see her without crutches, like." next episode, you know, but like I I personally I would have like broken her leg, you know, like put her arm in a thing. Like I oh. would have like really messed her up. But so she was like, I am fuck. Yeah. I I'm I'm broke.
1: Like I am literally broken. Yeah. Yeah. But I wouldn't have minded that. And again, leg you know, broken leg, yeah, physical therapy. That's again, she's what, 23 <laughs> at this point? A 23 year old can heal from a broken leg in what? What a week. Couple of weeks. Come on. They they heal so fast when they're young. But yeah, and I think they could have made her facially uglier. Where because the timetable is so short, and the thing I was saying about the doctor, why well, don't have him say I want to take another look at the thing and have him go into thing and she's like, I already looked at it. I know it looks terrible. And have him say, No, oh, don't look at this. No, we always tell patients. you you've just been through something very traumatic and you are going to heal and look better very soon. Now is not the time to worry about that. Worry about healing and taking care of your arm and your leg and your fractured hip. (laughs) Right. So I, I wouldn't have had a problem with that. Just in the grand sense of comedy, what is the academic definition of a comedy? A comedy is where you start with a situation shit happens and everything by the end of the play still is able to return to the way it was or better. Mm. That's, that is literally the textbook definition of comedy. And the fact that they leave this as, yeah, so she's going to be permanently scarred. Yeah, we're good with that. You good with that? Yeah. The, the pretty one on our show. Yeah, we're good.
0: Yeah.
1: But, so weird, so bizarre more so than bad is just puzzling how much stuff in this episode is puzzling there is so much stuff that's good that really really made my heart happy huh well what else anything else before we move on before we send our dear listeners on their way i got nothing i'm sorry no there's nothing you still contributed just beautifully (laughs) even without notes So next week, we're going to be watching Season 9, Episode 19, Till Marriage Do Us Part. Now, bear in mind, we saw Rick when we met Rick. And then we had the next week episode where Rick met Charlie, Joe's dad. We haven't seen Rick for a while. And now they get married. That's going to be interesting. But hi, 80s sitcom we're we're here for it because we are whimsical fucking people right yes damn straight so you can watch the episode ahead of time at dailymotion.com i will provide a link in the show notes and on this episode's webpage and that's all thank you everybody for listening to this week's show and
0: remember the facts of life are all about still being beautiful Hashtag truth. Uh, uh, (laughs) And then another. (laughs) Let's Face the Facts was created, produced, written, hosted, and edited by the wonderful David Almeida. Our theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Please visit facethefactspod.com for supplemental photos and videos links to social media, and ways that you can support the show. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. This is Matthew Arder saying tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts.